Hey, pooches. What up, what up? How's, uh, how's everything going so far? It, 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 it's, you know, shitty. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel. I think it's like, yeah, that, that, that's kind of the answer I expect of anyone when I ask that question. Like, I, I went to a networking event recently, and every time I asked that, I just sound, I, I noticed that I sounded more concerned. It's like, how's, are you, are you okay? Like, how's, how's everything going? Yeah. It's like, how's your round? Like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, hey, there should be an exception. There should be an exception to all these like confidentiality, not rules. I don't know. Rule of thumb, like, you know, in the industry. Just uh, you should be allowed to vent on a podcast without having it, you know, be held against you afterwards. I I wish I think so. We heads up. I know like preliminarily, but we have a very interesting interview coming up uh, this Thursday, actually. And when we were having it, like we were just gushing over stuff. Just we we just can't talk about. And it was the most painful yeah. experience. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. what are you going to do? Yeah, true, um, true. Man, I, I don't know. It's been, um, uh, I, I had a very interesting week in that, you know, between, you know, legal and dealing with a lawyer and mm-hmm. he doesn't listen to this, so I don't care, but dealing with a lawyer who, who <laughs> clearly does not fucking read anything that I send him. Right. And then asked me these redundant questions 50 times over because he forgot the last time that he asked me and he didn't even realize that I answered it the last time that he asked me. Um, but you know, we're kind of like too late in the process for me to get rid of him now. So I got to deal with this fuck. Um, but yeah, between that and ongoing dramas that I cannot go into that, you know, about, (laughs) Mm -hmm. anyway, you know what? We should, we should just get off this topic because uh, I mean, listeners are like, Hmm, he's so cryptic. I wonder what he's talking about. (laughs) Anyways, what's what's in the, what's in the news? We haven't done that in a while. All right. Speaking about cryptic, there's, there's another, uh, crypt type of term that, that we're going to be heading into. But um, I think, I, I don't know about you, but honestly, my entire timeline has literally blown up with the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto all over again. Um, what? Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah. I, so apparently there's this dude, um, what was his name? Like there, there's this oh. case that's gone famous because this guy Craig? by the name of Craig. Yeah. Craig Wright. This bitch. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not into, I'm not, fully immersed in the crypto space just yet but i know you have strong feelings about this um but yeah so so apparently there's this like lawsuit where um simply put i know we're going to dive into this later but a result of that lawsuit is either being misinterpreted or he's using it and spinning it spinning it up in his own way to claim that he's the inventor of bitcoin okay hold on okay craig wright has been going around for a long time um just basically forcing people to believe that he's Satoshi, right? So Satoshi, who made it a point to stay absolutely hidden from sight, right? Using a pseudonym, never publicly identifying himself, having gone off the grid for what, since 2011, mm-hmm. you know? And 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 now apparently Satoshi totally changed his mind and he absolutely wants the notoriety and he's going everywhere, you know, forcing people at gunpoint to believe that he is Satoshi Nakamoto, which sounds a little out of character for the guy, not that I know him, you know? And yeah, I go, yeah. well, I mean, I'm assuming it's a guy and I'm assuming it's one guy, you know, I, I we don't really know what the nature of Satoshi Nakamoto is like, is he a single person? Is he a group? I don't know. But the point is mm-hmm. this guy is, um, I don't know. He's just, he's just a nutcase. He's a complete nutcase. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's a charlatan in my opinion and the opinion of really anyone who spent more than five minutes reading about anything crypto. Um, yeah, I mean, the the one thing I've kind of noticed is like this. This kind of goes back to 
and like even even and not comparing the two but just like historical parallels of like whenever there was an unknown famous like serial killer for example everyone just got up and just for the, the for the pure fame went mm-hmm. i am him and i did this and i did that and they just were not willing to prove it yeah and suddenly um, everyone's spartacus great yeah yeah exactly and and now i think you know i i know sure as hell it's not a coincidence but you know bitcoin being on on the tear that it is right now you're definitely going to get people who are going to come up and say that type of stuff um yeah yeah which is you know hu- human nature i guess maybe just wanting Look, a claim to fame i mean i like listen i can understand why somebody like satoshi, satoshi nakamoto would want to be pseudonymous like considering what he was doing like you know the the initial application of the blockchain really was to create a digital cash system peer to peer cash system like it says in the bitcoin white paper uh, oh, that Craig wrote. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> but but um, um, yeah. Listen, what what he was doing technically is illegal, and I mean, still illegal. It's everywhere. You know, trying to take over any country's sovereign currency is illegal. Like you can get into a world of trouble. Like in the U.S., for example, assuming Satoshi's American, like for creating right. a private currency, the intent of which is to compete with the U.S. dollar in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I yeah. think that's the that, that's the sort of interesting part. It's like I, I I totally see why he needed he or she or they needed to 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 hide um you know who they were basically. But the interesting part is like, yeah, the because they were trying to build something as revolutionary as Bitcoin, um, you are gonna ruffle some feathers and you are gonna poke a a, a couple, if not one massive sleeping bear. So I I kind of saw the need for that, but what I don't understand from Craig's perspective, at least as an outsider here, is why after Bitcoin turns out to be the cryptocurrency or the um, the, the the kind of the, the head or face of the crypto Web3 movement, why do you come out now? Is it just because you want the fame, because you want to start making money off because of Because he's a bitch, or something because like he's that? a charlatan, that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and the fact that, you know, you're deep into the space and you have a reaction like that kind of says a lot about it. It's like, this is not who this is not the image of the creator of bitcoin that everyone had in mind and it's it's mm-hmm. it's not like it's just not him um listen okay okay first of all um it, there's a very easy way to prove that you are satoshi nakamoto by the way okay okay it's it's a it's it's bitcoin okay you have a bitcoin wallet satoshi had a yeah. wallet at least one for sure right you know, yeah. and there's one wallet holding what, like a million Bitcoin from like the, right. the Genesis block and maybe N plus one plus two. I don't, I don't have the thing in front of me. I don't have the block scanner in front of me, but if you have the private key, you can either sign one of the transactions or you can just straight up transfer any amount of Bitcoin from that wallet to any other damn wallet and prove that you are Satoshi Nakamoto. Right. Yeah. So if you show all that you have, you to have do. access to that wallet, that's all yeah. you have to do. It doesn't require a PhD. Okay. But, <laughs> right. but for some reason, this guy has like a million and one different excuses as to why he can't do that. Right. Like, oh. you know, I have, I can move shit out of my wallet and prove that it's mine. Right. Like why can't Satoshi yeah. Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin? Yeah. And, and to think that like, I don't, Lord knows what type of excuses he, he used, but you know, if, if he, like, you just don't, not have access you you can't not have access to something with what is now tens of billions of dollars worth of bitcoin at this point 
it's worth um, today about about 50 billion dollars worth of bitcoin so if this dude like very billion. desperately needs people to believe that he's satoshi move one bitcoin out of the damn wallet and prove that you're worth 50 billion dollars and you're satoshi nakamoto but again you know yeah. it's completely contrary to, to satoshi's character unless he got whacked in the head with like a pipe since he wrote the white paper um <clears throat> since he wrote the white paper but wh- why why the notoriety i mean i don't know this guy's a charlatan he just reeks of it from a mile away but for okay, yeah, so for I people know. who aren't really used to the specific, who haven't been you know kind of privy to the specifics of the case. Now I started reading about it, and then I, I just like clicked away because the guy just pisses me off. But yeah, okay, so yeah. this guy Craig Stephen Wright, okay, Craig Wright claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto. The one thing he is is one of the people who kind of interacted with the early Bitcoin um, community. Uh, I guess. Yeah, the, the community when in the first year or two after the white paper was published, right? But then again, a lot of people interacted with each other in the early days. It does not mean they're Satoshi, okay? Mm-hmm. So the brother of a guy called Dave Kleiman, who's a Florida computer scientist who died uh, in 2013. So this guy is suing Craig Wright on the basis that Craig Wright stole um, intellectual property uh, from Kleiman to create the Bitcoin protocol, right? And then he withheld oh, mining rewards that he earned by having stolen that property and, and created the Bitcoin allegedly okay. right so if you look right. at the details of the case the suit only proves that craig wright stole code from climate right i don't know why he sees this as this being you know evidence that he is satoshi nakamoto because apparently the argument is since i stole it and i created bitcoin uh or actually since i created bitcoin i needed to steal this code to do it and since it, the, the court has now proven that i stole it i am actually satoshi nakamoto so basically i am a legend because the court oh. proved that i'm a piece of shit. and i'm also now i happen <laughs> to own the climate family 100 million dollars so unless he liquidates bitcoin from that early satoshi wallet in order to pay his 100 million dollar uh court ordered uh, restitution I, I don't i he's just a charlatan to me so Craig Wright, being the enormous, enormous fraud that he is, he's turning um, the narrative that most of his plaintiff's claims were dismissed into evidence for for him being Satoshi, right? So this dude would probably just get a a job at Fox News on that basis alone, like that kind of twisting of the truth. Mm -hmm. But, um, um, you know, the guy has also repeatedly sued media outlets for not agreeing with his opinion that he's Satoshi. Like, you know, any, any, you know, assertion, uh, or any any kind of evidence to prove that he isn't being provided in any kind of journalistic setting is being uh, misrepresented as slander, right? Or libel. But, but and, and yeah, I I kind of wanted to like recall something that you mentioned at the beginning of this talk of like, so yeah. he's going through all this legal trouble, which you know, as a founder, I know legal resources are pretty damn expensive, um, and he's suing people, and now he has a court ordered restitution of a hundred million dollars. But going back to what you said at the beginning of this conversation. There's a way to prove that he's Satoshi, but he's willing to go through courts and cases mm-hmm. and not willing to just, if he has the private key of that initial wallet, move a Bitcoin out of it. Like that, that That's what I'm not able to wrap my head around. Yeah, it's, I don't understand. A, like, why are you just move a damn it's coin? Such it's such a simple easy. solution. Yeah, it's, it's such a simple solution and he won't resolve it. So, you know, even me as an outsider, and this is like most of my knowledge of this case has basically been from you sending me different articles and reading that Coinbase article about Satoshi Nakamoto's identity and everyone's claim to it. But it, it just seems like unnecessary. Like that's that's the best way I can put it at least. So like I, I know for a fact that at least just like in in that um, article you kind of dived into, there's there's been a lot of different speculation basically about, about the the 
the true identity of Satoshi Nakamoto, whether it's an agency or group or person. But here's the thing. I kind of wanted to take, or like switching gears into a more theoretical or conceptual aspect. I wanted to take a look at the the, the sort of advantages of going going in the dark or being anonymous or being pseudonymous because I am not able to wrap my head around it as a founder in 2021. So here's kind of the crazy thing about that. Uh, like as a founder, especially one considered an outsider to their industry, um, the number one thing I'm told as being young, not having a lot of experience in politics or the legislative process and just coming purely from a technical and engineering background, um, I'm constantly told to build my image. I'm, I'm constantly told to add more credibility to my name to that anyone investing or looking for help would understand that I'm serious about my position. Um, this is not only with me, but it's a trend that multiple people, uh, multiple founders in my network have been trying to do, turning into these like kind of micro influencers, if you will, on Twitter, Instagram. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, yeah, many yeah, yeah. podcasting platforms as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, granted, as awesome as the things we're working on right now are, so so like I can me talk, ranting about what I'm working on from the engineering perspective can be a two-hour episode, but we're not really building a new Bitcoin in the sense that like everything we're building is meant to disrupt industries, but it doesn't pose a fundamental threat to a life pillar that is money. You know, like, like changing something like that, ruffling the type of feather, feathers that we would ruffle if we were doing that um, and trying to be an influencer of sorts would just kind of be difficult. Um, yeah, you might as well so scream arrest thing. me. Yeah, basically, it's it's pretty much like walking around with a target on your with with like a, a crosshairs on your forehead. Right. So so that's like like even taking or zooming back a little. Back yeah. Well, there's a little precedent more. for that nowadays, by the way. So like you know, the founder of Uniswap, Chef Nomi, right? Like I don't think he was ever unmasked, mm. or he was unmasked fairly recently. But most of the time, he was still kind of in control of the dev community for Uniswap. Nobody knew who he was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, think it's, of who it's he very... was taken on, right? Like established financial players. So I can imagine why he would want to remain uh, anonymous. Not to say that like JP Morgan would have him whacked, but I mean, I'm sure they will yeah. find a way to harass him legally. Yeah. So that don't don't go to Spark Steakhouse in Christmas during Christmas. That's yeah. a that's a mob reference. Um. So <laughs> like, here's the thing. So basically speaking, like. It's it's almost human nature outside of Silicon Valley or outside of the tech scene to idolize founders. So, you know, it their identities specifically has become almost part of like, uh, yeah, just like Bezos, Zuck, Jobs, Gates, the list mm -hmm. goes on. And in a risk embracing meritocracy like the startup scene, especially with the rise of crypto, it might not make sense for founders to become anonymous. Like it, it just, it's not something that, you know, someone who's supposed to churn out podcast episodes and blog posts and medium articles and so on and so forth. Like it's not something someone like that is able to wrap their head around. Yeah. So when, when the unexpected happens and when the pseudonym of the guy who wants to remain unknown or the group that wants to remain unknown is idolized itself like i i forgot which european uh, country it was but they just built a statue in honor of satoshi and you know there's if every time i go estonia? to a movie theater i think so yeah i think it was estonia um don't quote me on that but there, there was that and then every single time i go to a movie theater there's literally a, a ftx ad with astronauts wearing the satoshi name it's 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 part of pop culture right now so when the pseudonym or when the alias becomes idolized, 
I can totally see people chasing that alias for as their claim to fame, basically. And leaving the sort of conceptual theoretical world world of it, I kind of wanted to head back into what you were talking about, which is th- like this this Craig guy isn't the very first person who has claimed to become Satoshi Nakamoto because there's there's been a lot of theories about it. And even more importantly, there's been some promising ones as well. Yeah. I mean, look, there, there, there's a lot of theories. You know, we started crypto, we started talking about crypto, uh, I guess, for just long enough on this podcast to finally, you know, bridge the gap and jump into conspiracy theories. So there's been a lot of conspiracy theories right. on, maybe not conspiracy theories, but, but theories yeah. on who Satoshi actually is. And there's been a, a, like a billion people who've been fingered as Satoshi, right? Like my favorite is like people said it was Elon Musk for a while. And like, I think Elon oh, actually yeah. denied it at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, look, I mean, I've, I can understand why you'd want to remain anonymous either as the founder of Bitcoin or the founder of other things that may, like we said, you know, attract the wrong people or the wrong type of attention at particularly the wrong time. Like it was when you don't have the resources to fight that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, um, it makes sense for these protocols to remain anonymous because it's not supposed to be about the founder at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you don't want people avoiding a protocol because I don't like the founder's politics or the founder is a douche or, you know, whatever. Um, I like that. Know. It's a very kind of selfless move because you, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure that whoever, whoever Satoshi may be, they kind of saw themselves as like, Oh, if, if my name is attached to this thing, it's going to be horrible. But um, putting the mission first in like in ahead of self identity as well is, yeah. is a very massive move. Yeah, because you know now you can't get canceled because nobody knows who the hell you are, right? Like you're being judged right. purely on the merit of what it is that you have built. And imagine yeah. what that means for financing as well, for like you know raising money for a startup. Like they're here judging the work done. They are not judging who you are and what your background is and where you went to school and what your last name is and whether you're brown or not. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I I kind of like I kind of like that trend. To me, I think it's it's very interesting. But okay, we're going off on another topic. So the point is, right. there's a lot of people who have a lot of different theories about who Satoshi is. Right. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. read a lot of like, you know, bizarro conspiracy theories about who Satoshi is. Okay. But I, okay. I, every now and again, I find, you know, certain individuals who are identified as a, a Satoshi of interest, a potential Satoshi of interest. And either the argument kind of solidifies a little bit in my mind, or it completely falls apart when there's one, um, you know, sort of factor that just absolutely does not uh, fit in with the rest of the mold. Um, of all of the articles and, and, you know, blog posts and podcasts and everything, there was one individual who, to me, stood out as a very realistic Satoshi. Um, who, who would that be? So I think anyone who first starts looking into this, um, begins considering Hal Finney as Satoshi. So Hal Finney Mm -hmm. is, I mean, he's a legend in his own right. He was, he, he was, you know, one of the original kind of San Francisco Bay Area cypherpunks movement kind of uh, organizers started in the 90s, very well-known cryptographer, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, known for being like anyone in that community, like these hardcore crypto anarchist type nerds. Um, he is credited with attempting to uh, uh, create an, an early version of a peer-to-peer cash system called Hashcash, I think, don't quote me, um, in, in the 90s in San Francisco. It didn't, didn't go anywhere. Um, there were a lot of like, you know, competing projects as well, but Hal Finney is known in the Bitcoin community for being the recipient of the first Bitcoin from Satoshi Nakamoto. Hal Finney had extensive discussions with people, um, uh, in, in the community in the early days. And he had extensive discussions with Satoshi Nakamoto himself. Now, 
Hal Finney sadly passed away in 2014 of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And even on his deathbed, uh, he repeatedly uh, denied being Satoshi Nakamoto, saying he was simply a a contributor to the early project on Bitcoin.org. And he had discussed Mm. certain things with Satoshi sometimes at length. Those emails, by the way, are all like in public record now. There's a, there's a certain website we can put the um, we can put a link in the description of this podcast if you're interested. And it's just like uh, all of Satoshi's known writings compiled, emails, blog posts, whatever. Um, oh, interesting. So there, there's like a history of a single account making all those posts and announcements. Um, it's a website. Well, we'll link to it. But I mean, Hal Finney, okay. Hal Finney was was thought to be uh, Satoshi, but Satoshi. I mean, sorry, Hal Finney. Um, again, even denied on his deathbed in 2014 repeatedly to multiple people that though I was involved in Bitcoin's early days in the community, I was never Satoshi, nor did I have anything to do with the white paper. Interesting. Um, so, so, however, however, I, in, in my description of who I think Satoshi is, how Finney will, 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 I mean, we're going to hear that name. Right. But, but before we head into that, I actually got one more person that I kind of did my little research on and I wanted to get your thoughts about him. Yeah. So. Another prominent suspect, and this is from the Coinbase article that we can also link to the in, in the description of this episode. Um, might botch his name here, but his he he's basically part of the cypherpunk movement, and his name was Nick Sabo or Sabo. Yes. Uh-huh. So Nick Nick Sabo or Zabo was the author of the smart contract concept that you know most fi- like DeFi apps kind of run on. Basically, um, yep. He's cons- consistently denied his involvement, but. I think the reason people brush that off very simply is because there's been a history of his account in that community before Bitcoin came along, and then it's been lasting and actively posting even after, um, even after the Satoshi account stopped posting on like early 2011. So yeah. people would kind of question like he was part of that movement, he was part of that community. So the link is there. If, if he wasn't the yeah. the Satoshi Nakamoto, he was part of that group, but. The the main question that people are kind of fighting with in, in the case of Zavo is why would you create a phony account for a single project not knowing where it's gonna head? Like did he did he yep. maybe assume that this is a massive undertaking of mine? So I want to make sure that it's not attached to my name in any sorts. But that's yeah, the, he he's been the one that's been like very all the other like claims, with the exception of the one that you think is uh is is right. is, is actually Satoshi. So have been brushed yeah, off pretty easily, but the one that's been like wrestled over has been this one specifically. Nick Zabo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nick, again, by the way, has, has repeatedly denied being Satoshi. Right. Um, so yeah, look, there, there's, there's a lot of candidates and, you know, just like with mm-hmm. Nick and with Hal, it ends up being people who are kind of like early contributors to the Bitcoin community. Um, mm-hmm. Again, none of them deny their involvement with the early community, but they all deny that they were Satoshi. Um, so People who have gone through Satoshi's code, by the way, say that this person is basically a savant. Uh, they're a genius engineer with very deep understandings of like economics and software engineering. Um, you yeah, know. I, I think that's the, that's what like appealed to most people that that he has a very great understanding of the engineering. Uh, yeah, engineering something completely new. Keep in mind because like there there was no blockchain before the one he created. Yeah, um, some iterations. Well, that, that fizzled well, out. I mean, yes, yes, and no. Yeah, yeah, like so some iterations of it, but the one on 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 the magnitude of the caliber that what the one he published was was it was not seen before, um, and then on top of that, like his just understanding of economics and like trust based systems and why there needs to be a trustless system, 
like that's why people are very easily pushing to the group thing because these like this this one single guy or or gal had to be an expert in economics engineering the way money moves the way systems work yeah. and and cryptography on top of everything so yeah yeah so you know, very a lot of things to balance which is interesting earlier this year um there was a a medium post by a guy called evan hatch evan l hatch mm-hmm. um so evan hatch um you know has a couple of posts about like you know history of the cypherpunk movement and who satoshi is and that kind of thing and his his piece on who he believes satoshi is to me look if i had to put my money on it knowing that the money i mean knowing that the bet will be either won or lost with the definitive truth i would right. i would bet that satoshi nakamoto is len sassman len sassman len sassman l-e-n last name s-a-s-s-a-m-a-n len sassman len len was one of like the original cypherpunks right i mean he devoted Mm -hmm. his life to defending personal freedoms through cryptography um and he was working as a developer on all kinds of like encryption protocols and open source privacy technology and that sort of a thing you know during the 90s 2000s um look uh, he was nobody really does it alone like you know he was building on top of you know years of iteration and ideation but i right. believe yeah. that the single individual who wrote the bitcoin white paper is lance sassman interesting okay? so, so so he's if not the sole author the lead author of that of that white paper in in my opinion yes okay so okay. here's okay let me let me lay it out for you so, mm-hmm. um, and I should note that most of this research, not most, all of this research was done by Evan Hatch, Evan L. Hatch. You can find him, um, you can find his uh, medium, Evan L. Hatch, uh, medium.com. So, mm-hmm. um, the evidence look, Satoshi made 169 code commits um, and about 539 posts in the span of uh, a year, a year and change before disappearing around April of 2011. Um, and he said, uh, I think I'm quoting verbatim here that, I'm, that he, he wasn't going to be around for much longer. Um, sadly, tragically, uh, Len Sassman committed suicide in July of 2011, um, after years of suffering, um, depression and a number of, uh, neurological disorders. Damn. So, so, so just to make sure I got that right, or we got that right. Um, yeah. so Satoshi basically said in April, 2011, that he wasn't going to be around for long. And then Len. Correct. So the, the Satoshi's last post was that. And then a couple it is months possible later, Satoshi's last post was was basically a suicide note. Again, yeah, yeah, sadly, very tragic, unfortunate, very unfortunate. So, look to be clear, like we said, Bitcoin was not a single person's invention. Whoever did it, did it, you know, built it built what they built on years of of you know iteration and ideation, and and lots of different things built by lots of different people um, that just kind of evolved over time. So, whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is. You know, if it is in fact Len, they would have to have a unique combination of expertise spanning, you know, public key infrastructure, um, academics, and, and you know, crypt- academic cryptography, P two P network design, practical security architecture, privacy technology, um, also economics, you know, obviously, but and you know, kind of monetary policy, monetary uh, economics, or basically the the subdiscipline that Satoshi, you know, basically invented, which was tokenomics. And the thing is, there is absolutely evidence to, to suggest that Len was and Len was, you know, fairly well versed in all the above. Interesting. So, what, what was this like? Um, we we know for a fact that a lot of the the very big candidates basically came out of that cypherpunk movement. But right, as did he. Um, oh, so so he did as well. Right. 
look, Len was a self-taught technologist who grew up in like small town Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. And by 18, he was on the Internet Engineering Task Force, and that that's the task force that helped kind of create and solidify the technology that became TCP/IP. Uh, um, that's the tech that underlies like the internet, right? So mm-hmm. in 1999, uh, Len moved to the San Francisco Bay Area and he joined a a, a cypherpunk community, the cypherpunk community. You know, again, the same the same one is like you know Nick Zabo and Hal Finney and all these guys who kind of you know the OGs of the crypto movement, the cryptography right. yeah. movement. Um, so you know, this is an informal band of kind of hardcore libertarian crypto anarchist people who thought that who believe that freedom and from government control and force would only come through technology and through cryptography, right? And when so when Len moved to San Francisco, at first he lived with uh, a man by the name of Bram Cohen. Uh, so Bram Cohen is the guy who would later go on to uh, found Mojo and BitTorrent, and um, oh. so Bram was a frequent contributor to the cypherpunk mailing list. And that cypherpunk mailing list is where, in 2008, um, Satoshi first announced Bitcoin. Interesting. And, okay. Okay. So, so I just fast so, forward so a little that, bit, but yeah. 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 So so that that cypherpunk, so the cypherpunk movement was basically an actual physical community where there's a mailing list. Yeah. Containing at the time Len Sassman, who lived with Brom Cohen, and Brom Cohen went on to create BitTorrent, which is like another secure type of application right is the best p2p cryptographically secure file transfers you know right so something tangential to bitcoin so yeah and and, then yeah they're all part of that mailing list from that mailing list you get the bitcoin announcement in 2008 right right but a lot of stuff happened you know between len moving to san francisco and then nakamoto making himself known on that mailing list so at age 21 uh, Len was organizing protests against government surveillance in San Francisco and in support of various hackers who had been jailed at the time by the government, by the federal government. At 22, mm-hmm. Len was considered like a, a public authority in public key uh, encryption, and he founded a startup in that field. And that was maybe one of like the earliest key-based cryptography uh, startups. And you know, again, recall that Bitcoin wallets operate with a set of public and private keys, right? Right. Yeah. I mean. That startup eventually collapsed in the wake of the dot-com bubble, and Len joined uh, Network Associates. Um, and at Network Associates, he helped develop he helped develop PGP encryption, right? And again, going back to Bitcoin, PGP encryption is also central to the Bitcoin protocol. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, let's go to the Nakamoto writings. Okay. So when when Satoshi Nakamoto was introducing Bitcoin, uh, he said that he hoped that Bitcoin could be um, basically the same thing for money that strong cryptography like pgp uh, was for securing files okay so so the the satoshi that would have been sassman basically leaked his work through satoshi's identity if that makes um, any sense basically so you know well sassman had created a pseudonymous profile to that he could assume okay Okay, interesting. Hence Satoshi Nakamoto. Another question is why that name, right? But you know, it's a different word. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm going. I'm, I'm quoting from the Nakamoto writings here. Say, um, okay. a generation ago, multi-user time-sharing computer systems had a similar problem. Before strong encryption, users had to rely on password protection. Then strong encryption became available to the masses, and trust was no longer required. It's time we had the same thing for money. Hmm. End quote. Now, yeah. do you remember when I had mentioned the name of someone who was thought to be uh, Satoshi, Satoshi Nakamoto, Hal Finney? Yeah, right. 
Right. So Hal Finney, long rumored to be Satoshi, even though he denied it on his deathbed again. Um, so he, he was rumored to be Satoshi because of all of his personal early contributions made to the Bitcoin layer one protocol, again, being part of the community. Mm-hmm. Hal Finney worked at Network Associates alongside Len. Hal Finney was their second PGP developer, and he helped create the RFC 4880 standard for open PGP interoperability. Interesting. So, so the, the way it's kind of seeming to me is like, so Bitcoin, the, the heart of Bitcoin is basically its security, which is which is all goes yep. back to the type of encryption that you have, which is PGP encryption. And now you have three people at this point, which is, sorry, two people at this point, which is mm-hmm. Len and then Hal. Yeah. Who basically were the developers at Network Associates that built this thing out? The two most senior PGP developers at Network Associates. So again, assuming Hal truly did not know the true identity of Satoshi Nakamoto, it is actually right. possible that he was conversing with the guy who he just worked next to for years. Or, or to to speak to the group theory a little bit, it might have been Lenin and Hal or something. Yeah, yeah, right. Interesting. And this was their plausible deniability, maybe. You know. Right. Maybe, maybe. Okay, we're going into conspiracy shit. But anyways, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, uh, so Len and Hal, like, you know, they, they also work together on, on remailer technology. So remailer technology, that's basically an email protocol that's built on anonymity and pseudonymity also. Okay. And, you know, remailing technology was used extensively by the cypherpunk mailing list that both Hal and Len were a part of. Mm-hmm. And look, remailer technology, that's not, it wasn't conceptually new when, when those guys were doing it. Okay. But the remailer that Len worked on worked incredibly similar to how Bitcoin operates. So early remailers just kind of obfuscated the original sender's identity. But Mixmaster, which was like the remailer of choice for people on the cypherpunk mailing list, they used decentralized nodes to transfer fixed size blocks of encrypted info across a P2P network. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 Sounds kind of Bitcoin-y. Yeah. Right? So... Do you know who was considered an expert in remailer technologies and was also the primary developer and maintainer of Mixmaster as well as a node operator? Who? Guess. Does it does it rhyme with Shen Blasman? Yes, it's Len Sassman. <laughs> Damn. It was Len Sassman. Okay. So again, so this is all the evidence that's coming together that Len may have been Satoshi. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Satoshi's second ever post about Bitcoin was about how Bitcoin can be transmitted via email messages as its first potential use case. And this was around the time where Len would have probably been working on Remailer or Mixmaster, Mixmaster specifically. Uh, no, he was most likely an academic by then because Mixmaster was years prior to that. Okay, interesting. But the okay. fact that Satoshi would mention email messages in terms of Bitcoins being Bitcoin being transmitted is 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 i i see that yeah i see that as evidence that makes sense yeah yeah it kind of kind of sort of comes together mm-hmm. see what i mean yeah so and again now people who had looked at uh the early bitcoin code uh kind of came to the conclusion that whoever this is is an extremely talented uh software developer right a very talented engineer um extremely um you know kind of high functioning uh mathematician mm-hmm. uh very well versed in cryptography and cryptographic standards and public and private keys as a standard right um 
And many people actually also said that his style is incredibly academic because the only reason they would be that well-versed in that many different crypto, uh, cryptographic protocols is, um, is they're probably doing this as an academic, right? Oh, now, that was opinion of a few people out there, right? It's not, I, I should say it's not consensus, but it is a, a, a very well-formed opinion uh, among people who discuss this. Right. In, in 2004, Len, who grew up poor and had to work to support his family and couldn't really afford college, right? In 2004, he gets a chance to do his PhD at COSIC. That's the Computer Security and Industrial Cryptography Research Group at KU Leuven in Belgium. Interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now, so again, this dude is so incredibly smart. He doesn't have to do his bachelor's or his master's or be some, you know, kind of slave in a research lab for somebody for a while. He goes, he immediately qualifies to do a PhD and research at COSIC. Okay. His PhD advisor was a man by the name of David Schaum. C-H-A-U-M. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you say it the French way, so it's Schaum, right? Yeah. Yeah. His PhD advisor is David Schaum. David Schaum, mm -hmm. prior to Bitcoin, prior to the Bitcoin white paper, was uh, he was named sort of the father of digital currency among people in the cypherpunk community. Interesting. Okay. 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 So David Schaum wrote a number of papers, including uh, basically one that invented cryptocurrency in 1983. Mm -hmm. I should mention these links are all available on the actual uh, blog post. Mm -hmm. um, so the invention of cryptocurrency conceptually in 1983, uh, the invention of the blockchain as a structure in 1982, which was his dissertation actually, which included code, which sorry, which included code for all but one element um, that was present in the Bitcoin uh, blockchain as described in the Bitcoin white paper. Interesting. So this kind of begs the question: Was he was he part of it? Or did Len simply take what he learned from Shom to to create this? Um, like, what's Shom's involvement exactly? Like, was he part of the Bitcoin.org, you know, chatter? Yeah, absolutely. But then again, like a million people were, so that doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean you're Satoshi. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, like my 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 best guess is basically kind of like it, it, it's funny just drawing drawing a, a bit of a parallel to today's case, the thing that started this discussion, basically of you know. Uh, Craig Wright took code from someone and used that to build blockchain. Like this could be a, a historical parallel of basically Sean wrote the initial like initial framework, if you will, and then yeah. Len just took it, iterated on it until the blockchain and the Bitcoin well, and the framework. Th there's a difference between working with people creating software and then not giving them any compensation for the software they created, and and right. taking an academic paper and using you know open source license to to build whatever you want. Open source is something. open source, right? You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, including commercialize it, but um, mm -hmm. um, no, Craig Wright is a, is a charlatan and a thief and fuck him. Um, you know, a true badge of honor would be if he sues me for saying this, because that means I'm going to get a, a shit ton more listeners. We're going to get like a hundred thousand overnight. <laughs> I, I would love that. Hey, that could totally be a pivot if that happens for the show. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like it's just, hey, we're, yeah. we're covering our trial today. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, anyhow, so another point about David Schaum, again, so mm -hmm. this is this is Len's PhD advisor in Belgium. Yes. So the creation of the first electronic cash system called DigiCash, right? Okay. It was built on 
this, uh, uh, well, basically it was anonymous payments that could be processed between digital pseudonyms. However, it was right. not fully decentralized. It wasn't really a blockchain. So it still had a trust component somewhere in there. Okay. But that was, that was the work of David Shom. Hmm. You know, and then there were other things, there were other things in there. So l- listen, one of the main problems with building something that is truly decentralized is what they call the Byzantine generals problem. Okay. What's so, the Byzantine generals problem? Uh, you don't know, <laughs> but I'm asking as but, a listener. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am, I am uh, an authority in all things Byzantine now, because I just came back from, you know, where oh, I stayed. Yeah, yeah. I was where this problem was first enacted in real life. Um, yes. anyhow, Sultan the, Azizoglu. Yes. They yes. took my country. So yes. Satoshi's, Satoshi had a very uh, interesting solution to the Byzantine generals problem. Now I'm going to explain what that means in non-code terms. Okay. Yeah. The Byzantine generals problem is basically suppose you have 10 generals, all of whom need to encircle and attack uh, a military fortress. For this attack to be successful, all of them need to attack at the same time. Interesting. Right? Now, the problem arises when there is a lack of consensus among the various generals who have no other way to supplement their knowledge through immediate communication. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when two or three of the generals decide to retreat instead of attack? Well, what happens then is that you know seven or eight of the other generals and their armies fail to secure the fort and therefore lose the battle. Now, right. in software terms, you know you need ten nodes to act in unison in order for the network to continue to survive. When you're talking about a blockchain, at least, right? If two of the nodes go down, you need to have a way for the eight remaining nodes to actually uh, you know sufficiently communicate with each other in order to continue the work and ensure the f- survival of the network. Right. Now, figuring this out uh, in a cryptographically secure way in software terms is something that a lot of you know academics in this field have toyed with for an extensive period of time. Mm-hmm. And it seems, and again, I'm not a cryptographer, by the way, but it seems that the best way to do this was the solution that Satoshi decided to implement in the Bitcoin blockchain. All right. Interesting. So yeah. Again, if I in case I lost people out there, Satoshi's solution to the Byzantine generals problem is basically again the, the problem is how do you keep operating when one or more of the nodes fall off the network without having the network fail in its entirety? Okay. Right. So this is this is basically the problem that Web two decided to embrace by saying there's a single server. If it goes down, we're all screwed. Yeah. What, what this tries to say is basically how how like if you have a ledger of information and a couple of nodes that hold a good part of that ledger ledger go down mm-hmm. yeah how is how is the data like how's the data kind of kept saved well i mean consider layer one of a blockchain okay mm-hmm. well let's, let's go through the layers just so that people have some have some context you have layer zero okay layer okay. zero is is your straight up physical hardware right Okay. So that's that's what's I mean that's what's where all the computation is happening, you know, mm-hmm. on your blockchain. You then have layer 1. Um layer 1 you can kind of split into layer 1 and layer 1.5. And by the way, I am borrowing this uh, mental framework from uh, Ali Yahya of uh, 
uh, A16Z. Okay. Um, so if you're listening, thank you. Um, but so you have layer zero, which is the physical hardware. You have layer one and 1.5, which is consensus and compute. Okay. So consensus is just a matter of getting every node in your network to agree to the current state of the network. Compute oh, is actually going through the computation necessary in order to update the ledger or update the state of the network. You can kind of think of these things as like two sides of the same coin, pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what happens at layer one. And then layer two would be the decentralized apps um, that are built for consumers and built on top of the layer zero, layer one. Right. Interesting. Okay. So with respect to the Byzantine generals problem, that is a problem that arises in the layer one of a blockchain because so it could the... cause, right. It could cause a failure in consensus and also a, therefore, you know, a failure in compute and therefore the failure of the network. So the blockchain is dead. Yeah. So, so just to make, to, to walk through a scenario, to solidify this specifically, like if, if you're in the Byzantine generals problem and a, um, and the consensus layer goes down, you don't have enough nodes to validate a transaction, meaning nothing can hit the network basically, or nothing can be updated in the network. Correct. Which means a failure of the blockchain. Yes. Okay. Interesting. <coughs> Solana. <coughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> it, it went off. It, it, it kind of, Solana is not super decentralized. Super, I mean, it has a bit of centralization to it, which is the cost mm-hmm. they the cost of kind of keeping your transaction time super high, but yeah. um, I don't know that it thing was, keeps hiccuping again. If it hiccups again, I'm selling my coins, but anyway, <laughs> okay. Think, Separate. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. We go off on Another too many episode. tangents, man. Like my brain is that a tornado. Is true. Um, <laughs> Especially when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So again, going back to the Byzantine generals problem with layer mm-hmm. one of the blockchain, right? The Satoshi right. solution was to use triple entry accounting. Triple entry okay? accounting. Okay. Now, um, you know, single entry accounting is when you, you know, again, like for example, you just use a ledger and say, I bought 50 bucks worth of bread and here's 50 bucks and, you know, minus 50 and then plus bread. And there you go. Right. Mm-hmm. Single entry accounting is the basis of all current accounting, financial accounting. Right. So okay. in, you have assets equals liabilities uh, plus uh, shareholders equity. And if something mm-hmm. changes on one side of the ledger, it needs to change on the other side of the ledger. And if it changes on the same side of the ledger, you need to have a plus and minus so that at the end of the day, it equals out. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Triple entry accounting goes a little further and actually has like kind of cryptographic uh, implications. All right. Now, this was championed by, drumroll please, David Shaw. Oh, so he's the person that led the development, or at least the, the first iteration yes. of triple entry accounting systems. Okay. Yes, basically. So, you know, again, um, the, the, these are things that you would only really delve into anyone, you know, if, if you are an academic doing significant amounts of research into this fields to have a very deep grasp of what each of these things happen to be. Right. Yeah. Um, right. This, this supports the idea that, uh, perhaps Satoshi was an academic, just like Len was at Kosick in Belgium doing his PhD and doing research. Right. And I, and I think I, I see where you're coming from because basically the way I'm trying to understand it is like it goes back to how much does one person need to know in order to build something like Bitcoin and the the exposure to very, very detailed 
fields, basically, mm-hmm. um, is something that you'd be exposed to if you were in an academic setting. Um, yeah. And not to go on another tangent, but um, resisting the urge to go into another tangent, but there was a very old Jorgen episode with John Mackey, the founder of um, the founder of Whole Foods, who basically said that, you know, when it comes to structure and the way government is and the way businesses are formed and, 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 and you know, grown, um, the, the intellectuals and the academics are always butting heads in terms of social status because it just, they can't wrap their heads around making money off of a product and profits and growth and revenues and all types of stuff. Um, so, you know, it makes sense to see what's going on in government and having someone like Len Sassman advocating for, uh, the release of jailed hackers and, 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 and just repealing of government surveillance build something like that. But the way I'm trying to think of it is like, there's, there's a couple of theories that walk through my head, not of who is Satoshi Nakamoto, but how one person or a group of people were able to gather enough information to build it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The number one thing is basically what the, the, the case, just like I mentioned is what the case that I just started this discussion with of, I can totally see that, David Strom obviously set out the framework for a Bitcoin or for a blockchain to be created with his 1983 and his 1982 dissertations and yep. his solution, uh, the triple entry accounting system, which was a solution to the uh, business in general's problem. Mm-hmm. However, if his solution to it or the creation of, of DigiCash um, wasn't actually decentralized, and I totally see that Len could have taken that information from his advisor, David Shom, and could have started, um, just gathered it, did the research, put two and two together and created Bitcoin, the very first blockchain. Mm -hmm. So that's one theory. But another theory theory actually kind of goes back to what we're doing now, because a little bit of an unrelated tangent, abstract is hiring, and I'm kind of in the mentality of trying to build engineering teams. Yeah. And engineering teams or a group of developers is always going to be weird when there's no leader. So every team, regardless of who you are, is going to have some sort of a tech lead. A tech lead is going to be able to like plan the construction and the architecture of different systems and delegate specific tasks for it to be built. So yeah. a David Shaw or a Len Sassman, if, if, if Len is the one of the senior developer developers working on the foundation um, of Bitcoin security, before it actually became Bitcoin, which is the whole open PGP uh, or the, the, the PGP encryption. Um, I totally see either Hal, Len, or David being tech leads or being the leaders of the Satoshi Nakamoto group and the other two who weren't being just developers of that, developers of that group, basically. So it could have mm-hmm. totally been more than one person. And, and, and when you were kind of walking through the different reasonings, it kind of made sense for that to happen. Yeah. For for a group to be formed instead of a single person, yeah. Just uh, not sure I'm heading in the right direction. But what 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 do you? No, think? I mean honestly, I think the way you rule that out is not with really like you know uh, facts about the potential participants or the potential individual um, who you think is Satoshi. Uh, the problem being is a lot of these people will also have the same backgrounds, right? So think of how many people right. were in the cypherpunk movement in San Francisco in the early 2000s. Uh, who used remailing and were looking into P2P, uh, you know, digital cash systems, and even mm-hmm. attempted and failed. You know, Bitgold, Hashcash, Bcash, uh, right. Digicash. There's a lot of examples, and they're all kind of like if you if you if you can imagine a Venn diagram, there's they share quite a bit of overlap. Um, right. So 
it makes sense that there's a lot of potential Satoshis, whether you're talking about an individual or a group. The way you start kind of thinning the herd is if you start, um, how, how do I put it? Um, you you got to start looking at like, you know, kind of circumstantial things, you know, first, right. you know, like when we started talking about this, it's, um, dude, this was not the plan for the fucking episode, but now we're going off on who Satoshi is and how do we, okay. <laughs> but if, if, if you consider content. like, you know, the timing of content when Satoshi, content. content is content. Yeah. So if you think of the timing <laughs> of when Satoshi disappeared and when, uh-huh. uh, Len sadly uh, took his own life, mm-hmm. that's kind of some circumstantial evidence, right? There's also the mm-hmm. fact that Satoshi never reaped the rewards of their work because the, the wallet has been frozen for a decade. And if Len took those uh, encryption keys, um, if he took that private key with him to his grave, then it will never move. And there's no yeah. physical record. And he passed away long before BIP 39 or whatever, you know, what created the seed phrases for wallet recovery. So he had to have the actual key, the full thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I do have a, I do have a very stupid, like tinfoil idea that just popped into mind, which is all your, you ideas. know, the, what's up? Those are all our ideas, but yeah. Yeah, yeah that's kind of true. Um, that's a, the, the core of the show. But um, he, he, here's a funny thought, right? So a mm-hmm. private key is just a very long string of random, like alphanumeric characters, right? Yeah. So what if Satoshi was a group of people, but they split that private key between them? So no one person has the private key itself. And only like you know, you know how like it, when you're in a nuclear submarine, submarine, yeah. and you want to launch a warhead, you need like the three commanders to actually launch it, and each yeah. of them have a key. What yeah. if it's something like that? Of like to move a Bitcoin out over into Satoshi's wallet, you need all three of them or all X amount of them, and they just can't do it. Like no one, like someone can come up and say, "I'm Satoshi." They're like, "Cool, move something out of the wallet." They're like, "I'm one of X. I can't. I can't do that." But if this was an organization, why has nobody come up with any kind of evidence to prove they were part of an organization, like internal emails or something? True. I mean, unless the use of a Signal-esque communications platform existed back then, I'm sure it did. But No, but I mean, even if they were using remailers and everyone was totally anonymous, then you still have to have the plain text somewhere showing that a conversation occurred, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is a very good point. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is why I think it's more likely that Satoshi was one person. And the reason right. it appears to be the work of multiple people is because that person who happens to be an academic who is ultra well-versed in the work of multiple people, um, the knowledge of which was used to put together uh, to put together um, Bitcoin. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, there is, this is very, like, I think to, to kind of, to, to end this on more of a what 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 does this mean for kind of like founders and VCs notes VC notes because I kind of noticed that we 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 actually are getting close to that hour mark which is very yeah, I, okay I you know what feel from it. now on I'm I'm actually saying this right now we're going to have a part two and part two is continuing to go over the evidence for why I believe Len Sassman uh, is Satoshi as presented by Evan Hatch in his um, uh, in his Medium post but go oh, on yeah oh so yeah so so what I was what I was kind of saying is like. So going back to the initial points of the initial rant that I had before we got into the different um, choices or options or, or, or possibilities for who Satoshi was, I want to play a little thought, thought experiment going, okay, so what I said previously was that now founders are micro-influencers or ma- massive influencers to some degree, and they can't kind of go into that type of anonymity if they wanted to build something revolutionary, but 
what about the next Satoshi, right? So the next person to develop a game-changing way of a norm that's been a pillar of our lives, would the anonymity be or provide a layer of safety and protection against accountability that can allow someone to work on something that embraces creative destruction, even if it pisses off massive, massive institutions in the US and around the world. So the, the way I like, I like to think of it. I love it. I love I love the fact that um, you know people can assume an alter ego online and have that yeah. person be an entirely different person than you, right? Exactly. Look, consider this. Consider this. Your version of you as a person only exists in your head because you're the only other you only you're the only person who's heard all of your own thoughts and all of your own words right right everyone else is using incomplete information to uh, generate sort of a, a, a personal mental model of who you are as a person mm-hmm. right exactly now l- let's take that a, a step further let's abstract that a little more and say i'm going to make a separate person quote unquote uh, using, uh, well, selectively using uh, traits of my own without any willful, willful misrepresentation or falsehoods or anything of the like. I'm just saying I'm going to use various aspects of my own personality to create a separate persona that's going to serve a particular purpose. If that happens to be being a pseudonymous investor, for example, or running a DAO mm-hmm. or running the next great decentralized whatever, you know, I'm. I think there's more upside than downside. The law clearly doesn't like that, but the law clearly didn't like anything about crypto, and who gives a shit what they say? So, you know, it's a bunch of old farts who use flip phones anyways. Like, why do I care? But yeah, I think, no, I I like it. I don't, I don't see why not. Listen, I I think I kind of like it as well. It it, it involves the, the embracing of a lot of risk because you know, the number one thing people are going to bring up or or what if they use it to do something bad, you know, and use all the legal shit to do shit that's bad anyways. Like, you know, like how, how badly abused is the financial system? The one that exists right now, the fiat financial system. And like, you know, Look at all the scandals and all the fines they pay. Exactly, and, and fines that are basically equivalent to slaps on the wrist, which, which mm-hmm. you know, is, could be a whole other podcast if, it, if if we needed to. But here, the, the the fun thing about it is like if you think of Bitcoin as a new invention or as a startup of sorts that has grown into a massive company or a massive organization, um, it kind of goes to show like the, the the startup bug getting a bite from one like it doesn't really. The startup bug doesn't really care what laws exist. Yeah. I think once you get it, once you see an opportunity to change something, like as cheesy as it sounds, like you go beyond anything. And if you need to go anonymous or if you need to go under pseudonyms, so be it. Perhaps Satoshi knew the cost of being right and the cost of being successful when it comes to creating a rival to the US dollar, for example, right? I can understand why he wanted to disappear. But anyways, we have we have um We've gone off on a tangent and you know what we're, we're doing the next episode is continuing this topic because i really want to go over all the evidence for why len is satoshi in my opinion anyhow i um yeah I i'm meeting i'm so oh let's do that but but i think i think for the next episode i i'm still gonna cling and kind of play devil's advocate because when we were talking about the existing evidence for len at least the parts that you mentioned at this episode yeah i got a lot of hints of a group theory coming along and that's the part of that's the direction i'm kind of leaning towards so very curious to hear about more of this evidence see this is this is why i don't like you and you don't have friends later (laughs) that's kind of true